And good morning and welcome back to Let's Talk. I'm Tracy Morgan. Always nice to have you with us for this half hour. This is our half hour that we get to talk to great professionals in and around the area, not only about issues that are important to you, but also about their businesses. But today is our day with the Butler Health System. And so we're going to stay issue focused on this one because we're talking about the holidays. We're just talking about the stress during the holidays and how do you navigate it? It's always the conversation that that comes up, but you just never know where you are during the holidays. So Ruth Anderso is with us, of course, behavioral health with the Butler Health System, and she's the director of outpatient behavioral health, a clinician for over 27 years. Where did those years go, right, Ruth I know. I was young when it all began. <laughs> you still are young, right? Oh, You're bless. continuing the trend, <laughs> continuing the trend. Well, Ruth Ann, thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me, Tracy. And is it true, is it not? Correct me if I'm wrong. Even though this conversation is something we do pretty much every year, you just don't know where you are when the holidays hit. That's absolutely true. You know, I think we we look at the holidays as really a time of happiness, of joy, or a time that we should be happy or joyful. And yet it can be a time of year where people feel the most unhappy, stressed, confused, um, sometimes, you know, lonely, angry, frustrated. It's just a really difficult time of year. Even just going into it. I mean, there's one element of when you're knee deep into the holidays because it's a few weeks long. But even at this point in the holidays, you could be thinking, wow, I've got to kick off Thanksgiving and then you turn into the holidays and then it's New Year's and that's a long stretch. Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult time of year because of all the planning that goes into it, the preparation, um, the desire to do things perfectly or the way that we envision them in our mind or think what people expect of us. Um, and so as we get into this week of, of Thanksgiving, and then of course that immediately kicks off Christmas, people are so much in that preparatory stage and feeling like, how do I put all this together and do it the way that I think it should be done? Right. And I'm going to ask you where some people are I'm always trying to find the right words on where we are with the health situation that we've all had to experience over the past. You know, is it post-COVID? Are we still in COVID? You know, so I'm always trying to find those right words. Wherever we are right now, I don't want to spend 30 minutes on this, but I do want to ask you, have you seen people be in a different space because of those couple of years where things were totally different? Are you finding that some people just don't care right now? Do you find that some people are more stressed or they found that... By having things changed, it was okay. Like, are they better now? You know, what do you see? I see that really being an an individualized kind of question and response. So, for example, um, I see families feeling like they have to um, make even a greater impact this year to make up for lost time. I see other families pulling back more because they're like, gee, I kind of liked it a little more low-key. I don't know that it has to be as big of an event as it has been in the past. Um, So it's really kind of a personalized question about what that family needs or what wants to do. For example, uh, historically with my staff, I've always done a a Christmas party where we do a little Christmas exchange and and have dinner together. Mm -hmm. And the last couple of years, they've opted not to do it, including this year, um, because they're like, gee, I just don't want to take any extra exposure because I don't want to put anybody at risk for my family gatherings. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I am seeing that kind of change take place where people are a little bit more cautious. They're not really holding back 
back like we were a couple years ago, obviously, but there's a little bit of caution that they're, you know, trying to dot a couple of extra I's and cross a couple of T's in terms of uh, what type of risk they're exposed to. And, and I think there's stress in there as well, because we all know that life goes so fast. And for those people who really hold on to traditions that maybe now they discover they want to be a little low key because it was nice. But then there's that personal um, anxiety where you're not carrying on the traditions if you don't, you know? So, I mean, within oneself, you can have that battle of, I like it low key and I'd rather have less people here. But if we don't, we don't have the same memories that I had growing up. Yeah, it's that it's that internal conflict of of you know trying to please everybody maybe, um, and again I think that's where it's really important for families just to have conversations about what is the priority, what do we want to accomplish? Is it time for new traditions, and that's okay? Um, is there a way to incorporate some old stuff with some new stuff? Um, so there, there has to be some conversations and not everybody's going to agree a hundred percent. So there could be a little bit of ruffled feathers, a little bit of conflict that people have to navigate. But certainly they'd rather not, especially at this time of year, but really as people are finding their way, some difficult conversations may come up. Yeah. And I'm not trying to push religion on anyone. I know you're the hospital. It's just, I'm going to tell you what my situation was that I went to church yesterday and, um, the sermon was about spending less monetarily, because of course you have your focus elsewhere. But in that sermon, there, there were um, examples given like what we're talking about, that yin and yang, that push and pull of that internal, um, that conflict, which I, I appreciate you using that word. So how do you navigate this when you want to spend money, someone else doesn't, or you don't want to spend the money and yes, somebody else does on you. There's always that conflict, no matter where, when, what year it is. That if you buy me a gift and I didn't get you a gift, boy, that puts us at a, a weird spot. Right. And again, that's going to be about conversations. Not that those conversations aren't awkward, because they can certainly be. And not everybody always sees eye to eye. Um, but what it comes down to is being able to have a, a conversation about where I'm at, where you're at. Um, where I think I need to go, where you think you need to go, and us being open to listening. One of the things that I often talk to um, patients about, even in in private practice, is the idea of not having expectations about how the conversation has to end or how that person has to respond. Frequently, we have conversations because we think we can impact the other person's behavior response. If I tell this person this statement, this way, this is how they will respond. We actually don't have control over that. And there's no guarantee how people will respond. And so I have to be open that they may um, welcome what I'm saying, they may reject what I'm saying, they may counter what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be angry, it doesn't have to be defensive, we can agree to disagree. But I have to recognize I cannot control other people's behavior responses. And I think once we are able to kind of say that, it makes it a little easier to agree to disagree, that we don't have to change each other, we can just kind of put our cards on the table. I know this is a lot to ask someone to do if they have not gone down this path, but is it how important is it that somebody does a an accountability check on themselves, that they look at themselves and understand what their needs are in a conversation and their emotional reactions? Because I think when people hear that kind of statement, they automatically think, but I'm not at fault. 
And that's not what that's saying. I'm not saying that anyone's at fault. It's a matter of understanding yourself to understand your role within this conversation. Absolutely. So a lot of times what I'll ask folks, if, particularly if there is a, a conflict that's arising, um, I kind of ask people, number one, what's that end game? What, what are we looking to accomplish? Um, and then people will help me understand what their goal is. And, but then I'll also talk to them about why is, is that the particular goal? Um, you know, because sometimes they're like, well, I think that person is doing something not the right way, and I need to correct that. Well, do you need to correct that? Can you correct that? Is the way that this conversation could unfold um, going to be positive? Um, and so people do have to kind of ask, like, what's my motive here? What's my goal? Do I really want to make the situation better? Or am I trying to maybe um, put this person on a different path? And while that might be a great path for the person, we just don't have the control to change people like that. Um, and so many people will spend a lot of time and a lot of frustration trying to get other people to maybe behave or react the way they'd like them to when we just don't have that kind of power. And that answer for someone can get a little deep. Yep. I'm sure that that answer is not a fun answer to have to uncover. So where do you all play a role in that as behavioral health specialists with the Butler Health System? How do you help somebody yeah. navigate that? So, you know, whether they're coming to us from the drug and alcohol world, the mental health world, um, inpatient, outpatient, whichever way that they're coming in, um, no matter what that difficulty may be, whether it's about the holidays, whether that's about relationships, whether that's about mental health issues or a particular diagnosis, we're always kind of asking people um, where do you want to go? Kind of where, where do you want to get to? What's that end game? And how do we help you achieve that? And so sometimes that really involves us just helping people talk through and focusing where they want to put their energy, where they think their top priorities are, so that they don't end up going maybe in a little bit too many directions and losing sight of, of their focus. Um, because when you are really stressed, particularly this time of year, again, whether there's depression issues, loneliness issues, family conflict issues, just being overwhelmed issues, it's very easy to lose that focus of, where am I trying to get to? How do I want to carry myself? What do I want to accomplish to be who I want to be? How do you help someone get to what I call the light bulb moment? You know, when you're talking with somebody and on your end, I assume you're helping guide them to whatever their disclosure is. But even in an educational setting, if you're teaching someone and they understand it, you know, you see that light bulb kind of go off, if you will, virtually over their head how do you get them to that light bulb moment or does it just happen when it does? So actually, you know, it, it kind of happens when it happens, but there are things that um, one can do to help someone get there. And sometimes it really is about pointing out what we refer to as cognitive errors. And so what a cognitive error is, is maybe I've had an experience. Maybe I, I went to the doctor one time when I was a kid, and it was really kind of frightening and intimidating, and, and they gave me a shot, and it hurt. And so I leave there and say, all doctors will hurt me. That's an overgeneralization, but it, it really could keep me from getting medical care for many, many years. And so sometimes people have those kind of generalizations or thought processes to a particular experience that then they apply to 
many experiences and then it ends up limiting them on uh, things that they can accomplish, relationships they can build, personal growth that they can have. And so as you begin to just tease out some of the all or nothing thinking, the overgeneralization, the believing uh, that, you know, the other shoe will always drop. When you kind of process through those, sometimes people then realize that, gee, I maybe have been the one limiting myself. And if I can be a little more open-minded and put some of those fears at bay and some of those thought processes aside, I can get a lot further than I thought I could. And that will often give them that aha moment. We're talking with Ruth Ann Dursa with the Butler Health System Behavioral Health, and we're talking about the stress of the holidays and how do you navigate all of this. Ruth Ann, can we talk about coping mechanisms for just a moment? And coping mechanisms to you and I may be a technical term, but basically, I want you to describe it a little bit more, but I'm thinking of when people reach for alcohol or when people reach for food or when people reach for cigarettes, you know, those things that help calm our nerves for whatever given reason. What are other coping mechanisms that you encounter with individuals and why do we use them in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times where people can struggle is the idea that we're in a situation, whether it may not be any fault of ours that we find ourselves in whatever situation we're in, um, we can be very frustrated about that. We don't know what to do with it. But at the end of the day, how we got there may not matter. It comes down to what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do with it? How do I cope? How do I navigate it? And so humans are very much wired to um, do things that provide relief, that um, reduce or eliminate uncomfortability. And so that's where a lot of reflux behaviors come in, um, you know, whether that's overeating, whether that's avoidance, whether that can lead to chemical dependency issues, um, because, you know, even gambling, you'll, you'll see people sometimes go down that path. When we have those kinds of coping skills, they release certain brain chemicals within us that make us feel better, and it provides temporary relief to whatever difficulty um, we're facing. Unfortunately, while that provides temporary relief, it doesn't actually help us problem solve whatever it is that we're facing. So we find it to be very cyclical that I feel bad, I do what I do, I feel a little bit better, but the problem's still there, and I just kind of chase my tail a little bit, if you will. So what has to happen is then we have to find other coping skills that are a little bit more supportive of us actually problem solving. Um, you know, again, nobody has a magic wand to make whatever situation we have necessarily disappear. Um, but we can certainly make it a little bit more um, able to be navigated. And part of how we do that is supports. And so I know sometimes, you know, people are like, yeah, we're always talking about supports. But you know, whether that support is our friends, our church group, our AA group, our pets, our family, our, our co-workers, we are the type of creatures that need support. We're very social. We're looking for those kinds of avenues where people will help us um, give us an attaboy, give us suggestions, give us advice, and so that we know we're not alone. So supports are extremely important, whether it's emotional comfort, again, advice giving. Um, it's also really important to know what my situation is, and again, what that end game is. Where am I trying to get to? If I'm in the middle of a divorce, I can't change my in-laws. I can't change my ex. I can't change a lot of things. How do I navigate the fact that I have to see these folks? 
um, particularly if there's been a lot of contention and conflict. How do I handle the the exchange of the children? Um, so I have to know what's my situation. What is the outcome? Do I really want to um, have a, a positive experience for my kids? Do I want to show my ex that I'm living the better life? Do I just want to avoid them all? What's my end game? So that I can actually begin to plan how that's going to happen. Um, because when you're going into those automatic coping skills um, that release just the brain chemistry, those are just kind of instinctual. You know, comfort food. I'm just going to eat you know, ice cream. But again, that's not going to make anything better for me. So I actually have to have an action plan. So I need support. I need my action plan, and I have to know a little bit about who I am. Like, how do I want to be? How do I want to conduct myself? Um, Because sometimes instinct will want to pull me the other way, and I have to push back a little bit. And so coping is much more action-oriented, even though instinctually we tend to be drawn more to passive. Yeah. Can I ask you about some of those coping mechanisms that are not what people may think? And what I'm thinking of is, yes, we talk about food, we talk about alcohol, but what about when people isolate themselves Mm -hmm. or if maybe people talk too much? And I I say that, you know, carefully because maybe some people are talkers and that's great. You know, I'd love to hear you talk all day long, but sometimes when we're nervous, we will overdo it, especially if we're sitting at that dinner table with all these people we want to avoid. Correct. So one of the um, instincts that humans have is avoidance. So it's it's really the same concept as we learn when we're a little child that if we put our hand on a hot stove, it's going to hurt, so we pull it back. So if you make me uncomfortable, if, if there's going to be possible conflict, disagreement, um, I'm going to want to pull away. I'm just pulling that hand back from the oven, so I want to avoid. And so people can become much more reclusive. They become really avoidant. They kind of shut down relationships. Maybe they don't really want to shut down, but they don't know how to get over that uncomfortable feeling. And so, again, that's very instinctual. That's why our coping skills have to be more action-oriented, because instinct doesn't always take us where we want to be. Um, and so we have to push through some of that un- uncomfortability. We always want to remember that uncomfortable emotions can't actually destroy us. Um, they're not going to hurt us. They're uncomfortable. They are unpleasant. Um, but they're, they're not going to make us not exist anymore. Um, the other thing that can happen is what you're referring to is where somebody can be uh, anxious and then they begin to maybe over-disclose. And then it, ins- it turns into a little bit of drama because maybe they said something they didn't mean to say. It didn't come out the way that they meant it. And then they keep trying to make it better. And then, you know, you might as well just stop. Yeah. Yes. At some point yeah. you're just like, please stop. You can't <laughs> walk this back. Um, you know, and, and that happens too. And so that's, again, people knowing who they are and recognizing that's one of their instincts and to, in their head, be able to, when they feel that way, to kind of say, just stop talking just shush. And sometimes you even have to say that a lot. You know what? I'm just going to stop talking now. I've done, I don't want to say I've done exactly that before, <laughs> but I've done the out loud verbalization of, I just need to step away for a moment. You know, yep. I'm not angry with you. Just too much going on. Yep. Brains full. I need to step away. And so verbalizing it helped the moment that nobody else was offended. It was just a matter of, I can't do it right now. 
yeah. I'm done. Yeah. 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 And and again, I think that's one of those great examples of upfront, honest conversation. Rather than trying to figure out how to make the conversation end right or undo damage or not offend anybody, sometimes it's best just to tap out and be like, yeah, you know what? I just went down a rabbit hole. I didn't mean to go down. Yeah. I'm just going to stop now. Because this is about your reaction to things too, I would think, because even though you say those emotions won't make us disappear, our reactions could make things a lot worse for us. Right. And I'm thinking of those when you, you are angry in particular, or you say something offensive and you really didn't mean it, but out of your protection of yourself, yes, that's how you reacted. And now you have another problem that you have right. to solve. Yeah. And so you really see the, the theme of what we've been talking about is that idea of being um, very aware of what I'm saying, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. You know, um, Those are going to be healthier conversations, healthier coping skills. Sometimes when we get more instinctual and we we can get much more defensive and say things off the cuff or cope off the cuff, where, again, that's ice cream, pizza, drinking, gambling, those tend to be much more unhealthier and not get us where we want to be. And so in the the recovery world from drugs and alcohol, there's a saying about you got to get your uh, eye over your E. And that means your intellect over your emotion, that you want to be thinking about that response. You want to be thinking where the conversation's going, not just to reacting to how you're feeling, because sometimes that is, you're absolutely right, it ends up ending in a way you never really wanted it to end, but you may have felt yourself getting protective or defensive, and then things being said that you didn't mean to say. Then talk to me in our last few minutes here, we have about uh, eight or nine minutes left with you, but talk to me about the process of seeing a professional because we could sit and try to be aware and admit to ourselves that, yes, I'm angry and, you know, maybe I need to shut up. Okay, that's fine. But that doesn't really get you to a solution if you're trying to do it all by yourself because I think that there's an important element to not only being aware but why are you doing what you're doing? And I think that's where a professional really comes into play, not only the first part, but the second yeah. part, because if we knew why, then we probably wouldn't be acting that way in the first place. You're absolutely so right. Please it's, walk it's us so, down that It's so important to be able to have that sounding board, um, to be able to have that reflective surface, if you will, kind of asking us some questions back and doing some clarifying so that we can answer those questions that you were just talking about so we can stop maybe some habits or patterns that have emerged for us in certain relationships or situations. So there's different ways that that people can go about it. Um, You know, sometimes people feel like they are in a crisis and they need to talk to somebody right here, right now. And there's a few things that people can do. Um, There, certainly if somebody would ever feel suicidal, there's the new um, hotline, the 988 number, which is like the new 911 for people Mm -hmm. that are feeling suicidal. And that can be called from anywhere, anytime, any state. um, And they can get some help. Uh, here in Butler County, we also have the warm line, which is uh, 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, in the evenings. So if people just feel like they need to talk and they just need to get a little bit of support, you know, I talked about the importance of supports earlier, they can give that phone number a call, uh, which is uh, 1-800-292-3866. Um, There's also a crisis line here in Butler that connects you to CCR or the Center for Community Resources. If there's a crisis within the family that we think maybe something's going to get violent or, again, somebody might be fearful they're going to hurt themselves, and that phone number is 1-844-427-4745. 
or seven. But if somebody's just feeling, um, you know, that they're certainly not in crisis, but they'd really just like to get into some, um, maybe some counseling, whether short-term, long-term, to get a little bit more clarity on some things that are going on, there's a few different ways that they can go about that. Um, Certainly, uh, anybody who has any type of health insurance, there's usually a number on the back of their card that they can call. Uh, It's usually under their behavioral health number, and the, the insurance representative can walk them through who's in uh, network with their particular policy and how to make an appointment. Um, It's pretty simple. Wherever somebody decides that they'd like to get counseling, whether it's drug and alcohol, whether it's mental health, you just call that particular agency, give them a little bit of information about why you're looking for help, uh, what type of help, you know, is it some anxiety, is it some depression, again, is it drug and alcohol, and then they can get more information so that they can get you connected to the right person. Um, You know, sometimes people find calling about counseling intimidating or that there's a stigma, Um, you know, it really is just about conversations. Um, it doesn't have to be anything that um, is terribly uncomfortable for people. Um, at the hospital, if people are interested in mental health services, they can call the Family Services uh, at 724-284-4894. And if they're calling about drug and alcohol, they can call 724 284 Four seven five nine, and those folks that would be responding to you on the phone would be able to get information and get you connected to the people um, that you would like to meet with. Are there different kinds of counseling or different levels of counseling? And the reason I ask that is because for the very first time, it was within the past month, somebody had mentioned to me the words trauma counseling, mm-hmm. and that intrigued me because the many, many interviews we've done or throughout the years, I've just said counseling. I didn't realize that there were specified de- categories, I guess, of yes. counseling. So how do you start? Where do you start with that? Do you just start with a counselor and then get referred elsewhere? Or do you, if you know your background enough, do you ask for a specific category? Yeah. So you uh, can do either way. If you know your history really well and you believe there's a specific kind of counseling you'd like to have, again, when you um, call an agency or call the back of the insurance card, if you tell them specifically what you're looking for, they should be able to direct you where you need to get connected. Um, if you're um, more unsure, then just starting to have some regular counseling sessions may help clarify that for you. But there are many types of counseling. There's Christian counseling, there's trauma counseling, um, there is EMDR, which is a specific type of trauma counseling, um, there is cognitive behavioral counseling, there's mental health counseling, there's drug and alcohol oh counseling. Oh my gosh, there's a lot. Yeah. There is, and there are different levels also, like, you know, certainly like in drug and alcohol, there's inpatient, there's partial hospitalization programs that are five days a week. There are what they call intensive outpatient programs that can be three days a week. And then the traditional counseling, um, mental health counseling um, can have... Um, partial hospitalization programs as well. They can have intensive outpatient programs. So there are all kinds of different levels and different types of um, counseling that are available to people. So, you know, I always tell people, ask whatever questions you need to ask, want to ask, um, because there are so many options available. Um, just keep asking whatever yeah. it is you, you need an answer to, and you'll get where you need to be. Ruthann, can you give us the hospital's number at least on if we need to go 
from there and maybe get the warm line in PA or the CCR number, but how can we, we contact the hospital or your office? Uh, again, um, my office is as simple as uh, 724-284-4355. For, and again, I, my office is on the, the drug and alcohol unit. Um, mental health, again, would be 724-284-4894. Okay. And uh, we'll be happy to direct you anywhere that you need to get, even if it's actually not with services for us. We'll help you get wherever you want to be. And again, a reminder of that number, 988 is the new hotline. And again, that's for suicidal um, individuals. If you're thinking that you need to reach out, please reach out. Please reach out. Now, you can call that number, the 988. But if you have that, we'll say, old hotline number, it is still active it's just an easier way to just remember three numbers, and then you can call that as well. So either number, if you are in that position, will work for you. Um, we were talking on a different conversation, Ruth Ann, with another individual, and she said if you have those stickers or those magnets on your fridge or something that you always keep where you know it is with that old hotline, then it is still open. So we just want to make sure people know that as well. Ruth Ann, um, I say happy holidays, but I know it's, it's, it is a stressful time for a lot of us. Um, any final thoughts as we work our way through this holiday season? You know, uh, thank you and happy holidays to you as well. You know, just remember that, you know, it is what it is and that's okay. Do whatever it is that makes you happy, that brings you joy. You don't have to make everybody else happy. There aren't a right or a wrong. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to work for you. And whatever that is, that's good enough and that's okay. Ruth Anderso, Behavioral Health, Director of the Outpatient Behavioral Health at the Butler Health System, a clinician for over 27 years, just talking about the stress of the holidays and how to navigate it. Ruth Ann, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. And folks, thank you very much for joining us as well. We are out of time, but if you did join us late in this conversation, what I would do is point you to our website. So go to WISR680.com, and you're going to pick programs in the menu bar. Drop that down to Let's Talk and then look for the Butler Health System. Thanks so much. I'm Tracy Morgan with the Butler Radio Network.